God is good. And all the time. Happy Tuesday. Good to see you. You made it. Congratulations. You got, you found parking. You, the, the, you got through the construction. You got through the train. No train for you. Some people got whacked by a train. Not whacked, but, you know, caught by the train. Well, yeah, you got the train track right, right down there. We had a train that went, um, it, was, it was about 30 yards away from the trailer I grew up in. And so when it would come through, it would like shake the house. Uh, but it was wonderful as a kid because they had two, two tracks and they would park uh, like a row of, of boxcars. Uh, on occasion, and so my brothers and I, we got to hop on, on top of the boxcars and just goof around and, and, and try not to die. Uh, but uh, only once did I actually, uh, you, 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 when, they, when they picked them up, you know, the, the engine would come, smack into the boxcars, and then away they'd go. Only once did I hop on the boxcar as it was going. And I made it about two miles. I was about 14 years old. Made it about two miles, and it just—it it, it finally got up to a speed where I better hop off now, or I'm gonna end up 50 miles down the road. Uh, luckily, my mom does not watch the video for the Bible study because she still does not know that story. So, uh, yeah, if you're—I'm um, no, no. There's some things that you just—I don't advocate for secrets, but there's just some things I'm not gonna tell my wife. I'm not gonna tell my mom. I'm not gonna tell my own. I choose life. Yes. Yeah, God knows. God knows. Confess. We're actually going to have a sermon on confession here in about a month and a half as we talk about spiritual practices that we do. Uh, I noticed I did a sermon on fasting, and we're not doing a very good job of that today. It's good. Thank you to all the people who brought out the food. Uh, It's a pretty good spread. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us online. Uh, whatever snacks you have, I hope you enjoy them as we look at Second Corinthians chapter six together. Well, let's pray. God above, what happened to winter? Lord, the snow is pretty, but we are glad for the sunshine. For those who are going through tough times right now, remind them that winter doesn't last forever. The winters of life the winners of grief, the winners of hopelessness, that given enough time, given enough love, we can find the warmth of your day, find the warmth of your grace, and find the warmth of friends and family gathered around us. In your son's name, we have this hope, we have this prayer, we have this idea that seasons come and go. Amen. Seasons come and go, and so do chapters. We are done with chapter 5. We are now moving into chapter 6. Jacob put it on two pages for us, but he made the font really big. It's, it's one of our short chapters. We got, we got about three or four coming up that are fairly short. So we'll do what we can with them. Uh, again, this is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, let's, let's break it up into, uh, let's just do the first two verses. We'll bring it up by paragraph here. First two verses. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. 
and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Co-workers. We are co-workers with God. Paul sees himself as a co-worker for God. It is amazing that anything that God wants to get done here on this earth, he's got to use you. He's got to use me. He's got to use other people. Lord, when are you going to come down and free the slaves? Said Moses. And God said to Moses, if you look it up, chapter 3 of Exodus, I am coming. I have seen, I have seen my people in bondage. I can't do a good Charleston impression here. Charlton Heston here. I have seen my people in bondage. And uh, we will set them free. And Moses is like, thank you, come on down. And then God says, if, if you look it up, therefore I am sending you. And Moses has, has a speech impediment. Who am I to speak in front of Pharaoh? And I was in the household once. I'm the last guy he wants to see. It's been 40 years. Anything God wants to get done, he does through you. There are miracles, yes. There are, 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 are natural phenomenon that happen, yes. But anyone that got raised from the dead had to have Jesus there. Anyone who needed help uh, from the apostles, the apostles had to, had to be there. Anything that God wants to get done here in Meridian, he's got to get done through you and me, people of faith. Lord, when are you going to? And the Lord looks down and says, do I have plans for you? It's funny, people come into my office and they say, Pastor Mike, we need a committee on this. Great, when are you going to start it? Oh, I just wanted you to do it. Like, no, 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 we're, we're doing this together. We are co-workers. It's not that God needed Paul or any of us. Instead, that God wants us to be workers not only to do the work, but it's also for our own good. Um, I, I remember my little uh, kid, uh, Christian, when he was about this age. We got him a little toy lawnmower. Right? You remember the little toy lawnmowers that click, 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 click? And you, So I'm out there mowing, and he's like 10 feet behind me, thinking that he's mowing. And uh, it's cute, it's sweet. But it's also, hey, kid, get ready. This is going to be life. Um, and, it's, and it's good for him. And it was fun for bonding for us. Uh, workers. Uh, the word itself is important. There's something good and important about work. Now, it could, take, it could be taken to extremes if your whole life is work. When... Do you, know, do you know people who, who, who their whole life is, is wrapped up in work and then when they retire, they got nothing? I have nothing to do. I have no other relationships. I have no hobbies. No friends. I, love my, I loved my father-in-law, accountant. But that's all he had. And we, we hated... I, let, me, let me say it like that. I got to be careful how I say this. We, Christmas and birthdays. What do you get the guy? All he does is accounting. Like he's got no other hobbies. He's got no other interests. He's got no other. Uh, and then when he retired, he sat on a chair. And, and several years later, passed away. However, 
work is important. You know, the other extreme, I don't want to work at all. I don't think that flies here in this congregation, does it? Would that fly in your family? Probably not so much. You know, uh, I, I got a kid who just like, I'm just going to, hey, Gabe, what do you want to do when you graduate? I won't say which kid, but his name is Gabe. Um, what do you want to do when you graduate? I, I, I'm going to live in your basement. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we don't have a basement. Uh, that's not his real plan. He just likes to play. Uh, but, you know, it's, 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 it's good for you. Go out there, find a purpose. Have a reason to live. Have a reason to, to, to wake up in the morning. Go serve somebody. That's what real work is, right? Serving somebody. God wants to be work, us to be workers together with him. Uh, God's best for our life is never a, a, a state of ease and comfort and, and indulgent activity. Uh, he wants us to be workers. He did, he doesn't want us to be couch potatoes or pew potatoes. <laughs> go, go do something. For, go do something for the kingdom. Uh, co-workers. Another another Bible verse has has the word ambassador. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, uh, and that's that's helpful in understanding the nature of being workers with Him. Uh, what does an ambassador do? Help me out. If you're if you're an ambassador for a country or for a king. You represent. Do you have the power and authority in and of yourself? No. <laughs> you look good doing it, though. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Bearing witness to to what to what the the person who sent you. Yeah. Yeah. On behalf of. Here, here we are. Paul, Paul, Paul does not allude that he's an important person. He is an apostle. And he has to claim that he, he has to tell the Corinthians all over and over and over and over again, I am an apostle. Here's my credentials. Uh, but again, it's not about me. It's about the one who sent me. And it's about trying to save your own soul uh, for the kingdom that's at hand. So here's Paul pleading with the Corinthian Christians some more. To plead is to beg. And Paul is not too proud to beg with eternity on the line here. Uh, don't receive it in vain. Did anyone catch that line? Anyone go, huh, what does that mean? Or do you know the answer? Because I had to ponder it for a while on this one. What does in vain mean? Not completed? No result? Yeah. Those are, good, those are good ones to think about this. Uh, here is God's grace, and you say thank you and do nothing with it. If I, if, if, if I go to school and, and, and I graduate and I sit on the couch and do nothing, my education was in vain. It's, it's not finished. It's not complete. It doesn't help. It doesn't... Yeah, there's nothing there. Uh, to the Corinthians, don't receive God's grace in vain. <laughs> Your job is to go out and help, help save the world in this. 
they did receive the grace of God, yet having received it, they were just, just, just guilty of receiving it in vain. So, so Paul pleads with them not to do this. Um, and, and, and again, it means to receive the goodness and favor of God and yet to hinder the work of grace in your own life. You don't do anything with it. Or you, you, you take part in other activities that kind of go, go the other way. Yeah. Sometimes we struggle at this point. Um, is God supposed to do the work or are we supposed to do the work? And of course the answer is yes, both. Yeah, God doesn't and we do it. Trust God, rely on him, and then get to work and work it as hard as you can. If I neglect my end of the partnership, then, then that grace kind of uh, dissipates and is in vain. I uh, like this line, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. The one time in history that God's, God's action was really, really evident, this is the time of God's favor. We're in the... Uh, we're in the time when people knew Christ personally. And he's quoting and applying Isaiah chapter 49 in this, I think. Paul wants to give the Corinthian Christians a sense of urgency. God has an acceptable time for us to work with his grace. God has a day of salvation that will not last forever. And it's time to get busy for the Lord and to be workers together with him. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Verses 3 through 10, please. 3 through 10. Paul's hardships. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthfulness, speech, and in the power of God, with wet weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, or we don't wish to offend uh, in anything, as another Bible passage puts it. Paul was willing to do most anything to make sure he gave no offense in anything. He was... He was willing to forego his salary as a minister of the gospel. He was willing to allow others to be more prominent. He was willing to work hard and endure hardship. Paul, he was not afraid to offend anyone over the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet he would not allow his style of ministry to offend anyone. Paul's ministry was blamed and discredited by the Corinthian Christians. What Paul means is that our ministry may not be may not be rightly be, be, be blamed. I can't type. Sorry. Never, never give them a reason to hate you. I think it's what Paul's trying to get at. I have not done a single thing for you to hate me. 
uh, I got a friend of mine who is not white, and uh, so we're so uh, we're we're in the store and we're we're about to or we're about to walk out and I just you know bought a little thing, and uh, the lady's like, "Do you want a sack?" I said, "I don't I don't need a sack for this," and and my friend looked at me like, "You're not getting a sack?" I'm like, "No, I don't need a sack." And he goes, "I need a sack." Because if I walk out of here without a sack and a receipt, people are going to ask. Like, ooh, uh, I, I live in the land of privilege. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just used to walking out without a sack. Yeah, I bought this, and, and away I go. Uh, he doesn't have that luxury. He doesn't live here. He lives in another part of the country. But uh, somewhere in there he said, you, you can't give people a reason. Uh, in all things, we commend ourselves. Paul will not, he now recounts his resume. There's other places that he does this as well. Here's a, here, this is just a small one. My favorite one when he, when he talks about how he's beaten and shipwrecked and da, da, da. Uh, so this is, this is more just of a small, a, 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 a small list. Um, what's the very first thing? First thing that he says, we commend ourselves in any in, in, in every way. In great endurance. Does anyone else's Bible say something different? In patience. Very first thing. Patience. Lord, give me patience and I want it right now. Uh, the Greek word here is uh, uh, hupo, hupomone. Hupomone kind of has the idea of endurance instead of uh, simply waiting. It's not just waiting, but um, it's, it's, it's that endurance, <coughs> waiting under trial. Uh, we often think of patience as a passive thing, just sitting around and waiting for something, and that's not, that's not what Paul is, is saying here. Um, it describes the ability to bear things in such a triumphant way that, it, that somehow it changes. Endurance changes you. Endurance gives you muscles. Whether it's spiritual muscles, whether it's physical muscles, whether it's mental muscles, uh, if you are enduring something, hopefully there's a transformation somewhere. Hurting. Yeah. But hopefully hurting with a purpose. Uh, if you're just getting beat up for no reason. But if I'm studying to go get, to, be, to become something, that's endurance. If I'm out there, if I'm out there running uh, it was a nice day yesterday. I walked five miles. It was, it was good. But I, I got home and like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> Endurance, right? Endurance. Well, I, was, I, need, I need the feet up for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm trying to get another thousand miles in this year. So, mm. Endurance. Maybe that's why he starts off with patience, with that endurance, because uh, of everything that... <laughs> comes afterwards. Uh, beatings, imprisonments, uh, riots, hardships, yeah, and riots. He, he, he writes of his suffering directly inflicted by people. He start, that's how he starts off. All, all the pain that I get inflicted by, by men. Uh, the beatings, uh, the word is actually the wounds on the back from whippings. Imprisonments, frequent time Paul spent in jail, and uh, the riots from angry mobs. 
And then he gets self-inflicted hardships, labors, sleeplessness, fastings, hunger, yeah. Uh, no one made him work so hard. Uh, no, one, no one made him have these sleepless nights or go without food so often. These were true trials, but one that he chose willingly as a co-worker with Jesus Christ. He's, he's a whiner. He's not trying to complain so much, but the, you know, these are kind of self-inflicted. Uh, but they were relevant to his need for patience. Not every trial was the same, but they all made him need, need, that, need that patience. By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, uh, the idea on the right hand, on, on the left. So if you're a soldier, think, think back in the day. Give me, give me a weapon that you might have in your hand back, back in Jesus' time, if you had a weapon. A spear. And so, spear, offensive or defensive? Offensive. So in this hand, you have a def- defensive thing, which would be a shield. Left hand, right hand, that's, that's, that's where he's going on this. And the, the world, including the worldly Corinthian Christians, describe Paul with words like dishonor, evil report, deceiver, unknown, dying, chastened, sorrowful, poor, having nothing. But God would describe Paul with words like honor, good report, true, well-known, uh, behold we live, not killed, always rejoicing, making many rich, possessing, possessing all things. He, he might say he was the most humble person there was. But he was humble in a way because he, he was out there working for the common good. Out there working for the Lord. Just give me the, give me the, it's not about me, but give me the due of being, being an apostle. So the world says I'm this, God says I'm this, which one is true? And I think we can say the same thing of us. Sometimes we think we're this. Or this. Carol. Uh, I'll digress here a little bit. Um, Talking about um, Paul. Um, With all that he endured, there's that word endurance again, um, sometimes it seems more like he would try to defend himself against all the accusations against him. And it it seems like... uh, you know, he kind of deserves to have a pat on the back <laughs> for all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing this for me. If, it was, if I was doing for this for me, I would not be going through all this. For me, that, that's, that's, that is one of the proofs of the resurrection. The disciples, who almost all of them have a horrible story at the end, they all went their way. Thomas went went to India. Andrew went to Britain. Uh, some went to Ethiopia. Some went down here. Some they all they all went their own ways. They would have not have done this if this was a fake story. 
if they didn't truly believe that Jesus rose from their bed, dead. Paul would not be doing all of this if he didn't believe in the heart of, in, in the heart of hearts that Christ met him on the road to Damascus and showed him a better way. That's one reason why I believe the resurrection, because of what happened after. And I think that's why we have the Acts of the Apostles in our, in our scripture text. I always like to look at the scriptures and try to apply them to me and today. Yeah. And, um, you know, what I see is that in the, these scriptures is that we in this life all ways, I think, I think if you come up to anyone on the street, more than half of them are in some sort of crisis. We all go through trials, right? I mean, yeah. One way or another, pa- proxy but because of others or ourselves. And so I see these scriptures as, yes, you have all these trials, but with patience and, and understanding and the gospel, yet you can still make it through. And today is the day you do it, not tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Today is the day of salvation. Not later on when your bills are paid. Not later on when you're past your grief. Not later on after the divorce. It's salvation is now. Salvation. Uh, uh, sal, salvation. Give me another word that starts with S-A-L-V. Salvage. When you salvage something, is it just junk? No, when you salvage it, you, you redeem it from the junk pile, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to do that with salamander, but a salvage, I'll take salvage. You redeem it from the junk pile. You are not junk. I'm not junk. The day, this day is not junk. Whatever crisis you're going through, endurance. Let it push you to be a better person. Let it, let it push you to become a better, better self. Let it push you to know your reliance upon God. I don't know about you, but I'm not getting out of this world alive. I need, I need all the help I can get, God. In those days that I whine to God. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, our, uh, well, we had, the, we had a women's thing in here on Saturday. And our, our, the guy who sets up uh, tables and chairs uh, could not come in to set up for coffee hour. And I'm like, I got to wake up at 6. I got to go. So I got time to set up the chairs, time to set up the tables. Do you know how, do you know how chintzy that seems compared to some of <laughs> Paul, I'm, I'm right there with you. You had beatings and shipwrecks, and I had to set up chairs. Patience. Patience, endurance. Kind of gives me a wake-up call sometimes of like, you know what? Your life's not that bad. Yeah. All right. Let's do verses. We're going to do a quick one, 11 through 13. Just that part right there, 11 through 13. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Thank you. Paul speaks to the Corinthians like like a father. I think it's the King James that says, Oh, Corinthians. 
Paul has spent enough time laying down the principles. Now he makes a pointed appeal. We can sense the depth and passion in his heart as he cries, cries out to them. Uh, we have spoken freely, you Corinthians. <laughs> Paul is practicing what he preached in, in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. He generally loved them with an open heart, and yet he would speak openly to them. Uh, the Corinthian Christians played the victim before Paul. Out of godly necessity, he was firm with them on previous occasions. First uh, Corinthians has, has a few. Uh, and they probably claimed to be restricted by the hurt that Paul caused them. They probably said, we would love to reconcile with you, Paul, but man, the pain you caused us, uh, we, just, we just can't get over it. Uh, but Paul is pointing out that they're probably restricted by their own affections. It wasn't that Paul did not love them enough. It was that they... They love too much. Their own affections restricted them. They love the world too much. And they also love themselves too much. Paul wants to see the same self-searching honesty in the Corinthian Christians as he had, has, as he had displayed to them. Uh, the rift between Paul and the Corinthian church, it could be healed. We don't know how they reconciled at the end. But it was in the hands of the Corinthian Christians to do it. The ball was in their port, in, the, in their court. They, Paul, I'm writing you letters. I'm loving you, and I'm trying to. And, and it came to you. C could you also open up your hearts to us, as well? Looking at the time, we're going to jump to the to the next passage, just to make sure we get it. Warning against idolatry. It looks like a lot. It's not. Let's just do that whole page. Thanks, Linda. Rest of the chapter. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship light <coughs> can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Biel? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I live with them, and I walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Quoting, quoting the, uh, the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and... And Second Samuel, in those passages, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Paul is speaking to the overly broad affections of the Corinthian Christians. They had just they they, they had joined themselves with unbelievers, and this uh, this caused a problem. Uh, the idea of, of do not be unequally yoked together is based out of a passage out of Deuteronomy which prohibited the yoking together of two different kinds of animals. Actually, it's just common sense. Uh, if you've got two animals yoked up front pulling the plow, do you want, do you want a cow and a mule? No, you want, you want two equal things, right? Yeah, that's, that's the metaphor he's going with. So are we not to hang out with unbelievers? Is that what Paul's trying to say? No. It's not what he's saying at all. Uh, in what ways had the Corinthian Christians become unequally yoked with unbelievers? 
could be could be marrying an unbeliever, which is the most common way this principle is applied. Uh, is, it, is it possible to, to marry an unbeliever and be okay? Yeah. Is it hard? Does it make it harder? Yeah. It makes it harder. Uh, all things are possible with God. But Lord, uh, make it easy on yourself. Uh, now, now the time's a little different than maybe, maybe than it was when some of you were growing up. Uh, did anyone, did anyone have like a grandpa or a grandma who, who told you, do not marry a, and they told you what not to marry? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you, don't marry an infidel. Ooh. Infidel just means non-believer. Thank you. Um. Stephanie's grandmother, my wife's grandmother, big-time Catholic. We called her Shiite Catholic. She was a Catholic. And, um, I was in school to be seminary, and luckily she got to know me for a year uh, before we you know, got engaged and all that. But somewhere in there, and she never asked because she just assumed uh, <laughs> After after about a year of knowing her, I was walking out, and 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 she turned to my my future wife, and says, "What a good Catholic boy, uh, Grandma. He's in school to to become a Methodist pastor." And that was a she she didn't say it right away, because this grandma had disowned another grandkid who married a Lutheran. Disowned like you were not in the family. I had a year and a half for her to like me, and then like, okay, it's okay. Like, oh, thank God. Um, we're kind of in the generation like, well, it's not denominational so much anymore. It's still out there, but not so much. Now it's, can you just marry someone in the faith? And I got a feeling in a couple of generations it it'll be kind of a free for all, which is uh, which under understanding and and yet sad at the same time. What are the things? What are the things that you have to agree upon before you get married? Children, are we going to have them? Are we not going to have them? How to raise them? I do a lot of weddings. I, I I sat in the office. I want seven kids. I don't want any kids. And I'm like, how's this going to work? <laughs> and love will see us through. Uh huh. Whoever's in charge of birth control is going to decide this. I'm just going to let you know right now. All right. Kids, what else you got to agree on? Money. Got to agree on money. Uh, how we earn it, how we spend it, how we do, how we do life together. Um, yeah. Where are we going to live? It's, it's all part of the money thing. Who's who, Who's working? Uh, if we have kids, someone staying home. How's how's that all play together? My mother was a great example. My dad had passed away and was had been gone for about ten years when she decided she wanted to be remarried yesterday. And she married this fellow in July, and just thought he was wonderful. Well, what she didn't know was that he was bipolar, mm-hmm. and. Um, in July, it doesn't matter how you celebrate Christmas, 
come December 24th, 25th, it matters how you celebrate Christmas. They were of the same faith, but boy, they had some different ideas, and I, they, they didn't do well. It was, it was very difficult for my mom. Our biggest fight in our family was how to celebrate Christmas. My family was not so what so. Her family, they, they did Christmas, but they didn't do family gatherings. And both are probably unhealthy. And uh, yeah, was nothing like the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ to uh, get the to get the fingernails out in the frying pan, and we had to figure it out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Agree on religion again. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it makes it more difficult. Uh, if if. Uh, so I had, uh, in, in the early days, I used to make couples take a, like a test. Uh, it's online now, but you remember you just fill in the bubbles on the test. And it was kind of a personality assessment sort of thing. And I got this couple that they're in my office, and I got the results back, and he is totally not on board with church. And she is hot on fire for God. And, and I'm trying to figure out how, because oh, mm, uh, I've seen that it's, it's just tough. And so I was trying to poke and prod around this questions, and I just wasn't getting it. And finally, I just point bluntly said, "You don't, you, you, you don't like God at all, and you, you, you are a saint in this." And he looked at her and like, "Did you lie on this thing?" And she goes, "Well, I just wrote the answers I thought the pastor wanted me to say." <laughs> like, oh, actually, it makes me happy because 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 you're on the same page. <laughs> Eventually, maybe we can get you. Uh, but I, but I run into couples all the time. You know, he believes she don't. She believes he don't. And there's there's animosity. What are we doing Sunday morning? I want to go to the lake. I want to go to church. Their tithe check is tough. Like, hey, I want to give to the church. Uh-uh, we have this. You know, it's kind of agreement. Um, oh, what was his name? Who was the... Uh, William, Jen oh, William Jennings Bryan. Does that name ring a bell? Uh, three-time uh, presidential candidate for a party uh, back in like 1900. He's from Nebraska, which is why I know him. Uh, he was Presbyterian, married a Methodist. She's like, I'm not becoming a Presbyterian. He goes, well, I'm not becoming Methodist. So on Sundays, they went to their separate churches, and they both gave 10% of each other's income to them. <laughs> And he came up, we're losing 20% here. And she goes, you won't come to my church. And they, they, that, that's the way it stuck for the rest of their life. Oh. Uh, there's a weird word in here. Belial, Belial, Belial. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a borrowed word from Hebrew, meaning worthlessness or wickedness. And here it's used as another word for the, for the evil one. It's the only place in the New Testament that it's that it's here, but it's in the Old Testament, uh, scattered throughout. It just it, it, to express wickedness and and and, and scandalness is what that means. Uh, yeah, Paul quotes quotes the prophets. Let's be on the same page. That's where he's going. Let's be on the same page. The call of purity. Unto God flows from the offer of reconciliation, and uh, Paul Paul wants nothing nothing more than them to be on this of, of the same mind. 
last verse, um, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the all Lord Almighty. Is that figuratively, literally, socially? Spiritually. 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 Uh, that, one is, uh, that one comes from Second Samuel. And I think that's the Lord speaking to, to the people of Israel. And Paul, Paul just cherry picks it and uses it here to, uh, spiritually. Thank you. Awesome. Well, God bless, and we will see you Sunday, if not before. Go in peace. Thank you.